0: Uh, Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We have been in our Advent series, walking through the month of December, paying attention to the fact that Advent is about an appearing. Advent is about a coming. Advent is about a moment in all of human history where God showed up in some vibrant, living color, announcing himself ways that he wanted us to take notice, and he wants us to continue to take notice. And what we're doing through this series is to recognize ways in which God has come to us and things that we should be holding on to and letting them continue to affect us. Now, this morning, I titled the message, The Providential God Has Come. And you don't have to raise your hands for this, but... I wonder, in the year 2021, which has been one of the most unusual years for us again, and maybe it's been that way for you, or maybe it's been smooth sailing, but I think a lot of us have had an unusual year in 2021, and unusual moments and unusual years uh, can create confusion. So maybe we're here this morning at the end of 2021 feeling confused. Confused about where we are and what's going on and confused about where God is in this moment. Sometimes life is hard to figure out where is God in moments like these. And maybe that's gone beyond confusion about where God is to questions about what God's really like. About God's love, about his nearness and his care. And I'm sure we sometimes ask questions in these moments. God, what did I, you know, what did I do to deserve this? And Trying to sort through why did, why did the left turn happen and why did difficulties come and, and is there something about God that's... Well, those are, those are hard questions. And today I, I want to get us to see the nearness of God in ways that we perhaps don't regularly see the nearness of God. So let's read this passage here. I think the Christmas story will provide for us some insights into God's activity among us that maybe we tend to overlook. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not till she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, there are some amazing things in even just that passage we stare into that with wonder of how did that happen? Well, Lord, there's also some really common stuff in that passage as well. Lord, you are, you're in the big moments and you're in the routine details. God, help us to see them both. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you... Start the Christmas story there in verse 18, you've already skipped something that most of us don't mind skipping. It's the first 17 verses in the gospel of Matthew. And if you have a Bible with real pages in it, you could just flip back and see, well, what's in the first 17 verses? Well, it's kind of like a trip to ancestry.com. Just a a bunch of names of this one was a father of that one. This one was a father of that one. This one was a father of that one. And this one gave birth to that one. And And there's a tracing out of something that, you know, you and I are looking for this miraculous God to show up in big, powerful ways. And he starts the gospel with some of the most routine stuff that you could start with. He goes to the birth record and pulls up something that you could find anywhere in the world. Right? There's birth records all over the place. I don't Any of you guys ever mess with Ancestry.com? You ever mess with that? It's kind of an interesting thing to, to play with. But you go back and you find, you know, like, oh wow, I didn't know I was related to this person and this person, and then this one goes back over here. Well, that's kind of what the gospel starts with. And then this moment gets introduced to us where God is going to do something where he's going to step into this, this creation that he made, this this human theater with all of its trappings and all the ways in which things get done. I remember the guy who landed on the moon when he was getting off the lunar module and he took that first step and he said, one small leap for man, one giant step for mankind. Is that what he said? One giant step for... Small step for... Man. Giant leap for mankind. Is that right? All right. All right, we'll now reverse that because when you get to the incarnation, you and I stare at that and kind of like, hey, small step. But for God of all eternity, who has created everything, a giant leap. The distance that this God travels from his glorious status to become one of his creatures and to live in the mundane, to live in the everyday, to live in time and space and to submit himself to the very same forces of life that you and I live in every day of our lives. I wrote in your outline, it is dramatic to ponder this willing posture of God, but it's also insightful to learn how God's glory and purpose are bound up in these divinely ordained limitations that we exist in. You and I live in a a limited existence. There are boundaries on what you and I can and cannot do. What we would like to have in our life versus what we're capable of having in our lives. And God is going to enter into this theater of limitations. And he is going to become limited by the same things. And he is going to display his glory through those very things. Right. So if we take this statement in verse 18. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We got no problem seeing the miracle there. But can you, can you see the divine limitations that this displays? I mean, if you press the rewind on this and you just back up one minute, there's just this young teenage girl from a little village, average little village in the Middle East, and she's just doing life. And suddenly there's a new life inside of her. She doesn't even perceive it. She's like every other mom who doesn't even know this is going on inside of her at that moment. And this embryo planted in her womb is beginning to grow. A process is taking place, and the embryo doesn't have any thought of it either. You guys remember that moment? No? This is the Son of God entering into. That element, the son of God, is going to go through cellular reproduction. And he's going to grow as one cell expands and another and another grows. This, this is the son of God who is in this moment. He is going to be oxygen dependent. Can you understand the God of the universe has never been oxygen dependent ever And now he is oxygen dependent. And not just oxygen dependent, but he's dependent on an umbilical cord that connects him to another human being who their heart beating and pumping blood toward him, he is dependent upon that process of the circulatory system, the reproduction system that he created. Now he is now subject to that. Now listen, you and I can can see quickly the... The miracle of the event that suddenly the son of God is going to appear without there being a human father involved. We go, oh, that's, that's a miracle. But part of the story that God chooses to tell, and I just, I just pick up on this matter of fact word phrase in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place like this. It just sounds too matter of fact to me. This is how it went down. This woman gets pregnant, and then the the pregnancy gets described. And then, verse 23, she will bear a son. We call that Christmas Day. Day one, outside the womb, the Son of God makes his appearance. And we sing songs and read the verses about in that moment. How miraculous was that? That he was going to need to be wrapped in swaddling cloth. Is that like, wow, no, that's like unimpressive. He's the son of God. You need to wrap him in a cloth to keep him from catching a cold. Really? God, why why don't you just show up? I mean, let's, let's just invite God to insert miracles all over the place here. God, why don't you show up? And I don't know. I mean, Iron Man had like, you know, special gadgets and stuff. He was temperature resistant. Couldn't you have done something for Jesus to make him temperature resistant or Just change the environment around him. Why don't you make the manger, you know, like 78 comfortable degrees, perfect humidity. I mean, couldn't God do that? But he doesn't. He instead requires that there's going to be this care given to this infant, just like every other infant is going to need to be cared for. This one needs to be cared for. And then Jesus is going to go and do life, right? He's not going to be raised by angelic beings uh, who who seem to be human, and nobody recognizes that they're not. Which that's happened in the Bible. God's done that. He's he sent messengers who later were revealed that they were human. Be- they weren't human. beings, They were angelic beings, and yet he doesn't get angelic parents. He just gets Mary and Joseph. And listen, history has turned them into something that they were just average people. Mary and Joseph, they're going to raise this child with all of their limitations, with all of their mood swings, with all of their questions and uncertainties, and they're not available, and they're trying really hard, but they're not doing a great job all the time. They're they're just human beings raising another human being, right? And then Jesus is going to do life on planet Earth. Jesus is going to travel by foot. I am think if there's ever was a person who that's not a good idea, this is, this is the one, right? He, he needs to be places. He needs to get places much faster. So God, how about the miracle of teletransportation or something? Just somehow just show up in miraculous moments where Jesus needs to be in that next village. For goodness sake, he's, he's got stuff to do over there. He's got important things to say. He needs to meet with those people. God certainly needs to provide a miracle to get him from here to there that everybody can just freak out about and wow, how did Jesus get here? He was a hundred miles away 30 seconds ago. Wow. How does he get there? He walks. With all that slowness, that's how he gets there. Jesus would fully live in a human body. He would get hungry. He would get tired. He would experience energy running out. With all the important things that he had to do, he would be sleeping in the back of boats because he was in this human theater, fully human. Jesus would use language. I know that seems like, yeah, but you know, do you realize how limited language is? At some point, human beings create words to describe concepts and things, and then they string them together in ways that sort of makes sense. And some languages are a little bit more, you know, deep and well-worked than others. Jesus is going to use language. He's not just going to walk up to people and stare at them and suddenly impressions flood their minds and sensations fill their hearts and they know without a word exactly what he's saying and thinking. Is that because God couldn't do that? No. It's because God was pleased to enter into this humanity with us in the very same way in which you and I live in this world. Listen, Jesus worked miracles, lots and lots of miracles. But if you read your Bible, do do you wonder how many times Jesus passed up opportunities for miracles? You read your Bible that way, it'll be pretty interesting. There are a lot of situations that Jesus looks at, sees, walks past, and he doesn't change it. Right? It, it would be inaccurate. Well, we know this. You know, give me the list of all the people that he raised from the dead. It's a very short list, isn't it? Is that because nobody died while he was here? No. God invades miraculously, but God does other things that you and I might not call call miracles, but he is still involved and he is still engaged and to him it counts. And to you and I, maybe we don't give him credit for it. We don't look for him in those spaces, but this is God in the human theater, fully being human among us and bringing God's purposes to bear on our lives through that. I asked this question in your outline. How do we understand that God doesn't disrupt or override every aspect of the human theater when he comes? I'd say there's something about the way God created things that he wants to have continue for some reason. All that stuff like gravity and time, things that limit the human existence, God does not break in. And undo them all. Remember when God created all that stuff in the beginning? He pronounced a word over it. What was it? It was good. What he made was good. And he doesn't seem to mind engaging it. John Piper in his book on Providence says... I don't know if this quote got up there or not. Yep. One of God's purposes in creating the natural world was the enjoyment he would take in it. The fact that he rejoices in the works of his hands gives a partial explanation for the countless glories of the natural universe that no human being ever sees and no angel fully comprehends. God made the Leviathan to play in the sea. Here is the sea, great and wide, and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. All of this utterly fascinating play fills the humanly unseen creation. But it is not wasted. The angels grasp some of it, someday we may grasp more of it, but God grasps and rejoices in all of it. It is part of God's glory that he misses none of it and that he values it according to its true nature as a revelation of himself. Whatever natural processes happen in the earth, God is acting in them to bring about his purposes so in some ways even though we are a charismatic church that believes in the present day operation and gifts of the holy spirit it would be a massive tragedy to read the bible as only quote miraculous as though god is only here when something really peculiar is happening because god created the wiring for everything here and he doesn't mind flowing through the electrical panels into the things that he created. And you and I miss a lot about God. If the only time we think God is present is when we feel him a particular way or when some unusual event breaks into our world. Other than that, we're staring around going, where is God? Oh, that's a massive mistake. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says, We may define a miracle as follows. A miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. This definition takes into account our previous understanding of God's providence whereby God preserves, controls, and governs all things. If we understand providence in this way, we will naturally avoid some other common explanations or definitions of miracles. For example, one definition of a miracle is a quote direct intervention of God in the world. But this definition assumes a deistic view of God's relationship to the world, in which the world continues on its own and God only intervenes in it occasionally. Right, can, you, can your life kind of feel that way sometimes? All right, this is the moment where we go, God, where is God? Where is God right now? Because perhaps we've developed a theology that we only look for him in limited ways when he shows up and makes noise in categories that we validate. But God watches the Leviathan play and he's involved with that. This is certainly not the biblical view according to which God makes the rain to fall he causes the grass to grow and continually carries along all things by the word of his power listen i need much help from god in seeing him in the spaces where he clearly has said i'm here and i'm here and i'm here and i'm here I'm faithfully involved and I'm doing and I'm touching and I'm shaping and I'm moving things along. These things aren't just happening by themselves. And when you and know I come to the Christmas story, it presents this to us. It presents this noisy inbreaking of God that we would call miraculous. And then it presents the everyday stuff of God in just the mundane human theater that you and I do life in. Now listen, that setting, that human setting is a complicated setting, right? God in this story in Matthew chapter one, he is breaking in. Here comes God. Here comes the long awaited Messiah stepping into the greatest need. And yet when he steps in, if you smell the conversations that are going on during this time here, God is coming near, but there is, there's a fearful event taking place. There's a couple involved and they're not right. Ready to have children yet they're engaged, but they're not fully married they have partial kind of move toward those things so so there's there's a realm of suspicion. If you were Joseph's friend and the angel has not revealed God blatantly to you yet, you are suspicious you're not buying her story you're thinking who who has she been with I've never. I never, he's crushed. I never could have imagined she would have done that to me. That's what they're talking like. That's what he's sounding like. And now there's shame involved. There's no way to explain this. There's public disgrace in this moment. There's a couple who are God's couple who are walking through a moment where this is what they're having to manage behind the scenes in their own thoughts. This is disgraceful. How? What are we going to do? They even talk about divorce. I mean, take this for what it is. God has never been more near. And there's a couple talking about divorce. Couples. Can you just factor that in somewhere? That sometimes the way life feels is blinding you to the nearness of God. And the only thing you can think of as a solution is divorce. But what if God could step into that moment and make some things known to you in your heart by the Holy Spirit through angelic intervention? God was near to this moment that felt like divorce was the answer. Let that be a, a tip for all of us as we do life here. I think I wrote in your outline, the purpose of God and the will of God clearly revealed didn't mean this moment didn't feel confusing, unclear, or fearful. Engaging this moment, you would have felt these things. This is confusing. This is this, The way forward is just unclear, and you would have been feeling a sense of fear. Right? There's a reason why the Bible tells us, don't be afraid, right? Verse 20, but as he considered these things, Joseph... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Why does Joseph have to be told, do not fear? This is not rocket science. Because he's afraid. Because he finds himself without all the details in the moment that God has ordained for his life, and the moment has generated in him a sense of fear. This is not, I don't understand this. This is not good. And he has to have God break in and say, do not be afraid. I mean, you guys know, even you're not going to escape the, even the, the initial story of the Christ in this family without encountering more fear. How many of you know, sometimes walking in the middle of the will of God can put you in touch with fear. It's not as though if you're afraid, you're kind of like, oh, I'm out of the will of God. I must be doing something wrong. How do I interpret this? Uh, Not too long after, Matthew chapter 2 records this, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee, flee to Egypt. This isn't a vacation. This This is, you're running from something. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. The most powerful, relevant ruler that they could think of knows them personally. And he's after them and their family. He arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. All right, so here's the moment. Some dude doesn't get it that this is a good thing. This is the son of God. He's coming to save the world. God is broken in with a good thing. And this guy doesn't get it. So much so that he's going to take the life of this child. That's what Mary and Joseph are interacting with in this moment. So how how does God keep alive the son of God to save the world? Well, how about a 250-mile journey to Egypt? How about that? How about you get on some kind of caravan and ride on the back of some donkey and walk for 250 miles to Egypt? Is that what you think the God of the universe would do? Why doesn't he just give Herod a heart attack? All right, done. Next. I mean, that just seems like a, a quicker solution. To me, I mean, what? why the slow-moving diversion detour of taking this family to Egypt going all that way? This is God in the human theater. This is God doing life just like you and I do life. This is God, if you want to call it, dodging a bullet the same way it looks like you and I dodge bullets. So apparently sometimes we're dodging things and moving things, and it's, I mean... Does a camel ride to Egypt look like a miracle to you? No, it just looks like an inconvenience. But it's God in the midst of their lives, protecting his purpose in their lives. It just looks like a long journey and an inconvenient moment. I wonder how many long journeys and inconvenient moments are in my life that I'm not fully aware how God is at work in that very space of my life. And it took me way over here for reasons that I can't even begin to imagine what they are. But yet God is sovereignly involved. But this question in you're outline, aren't we tempted to oversimplify God's involvement in our moments? If God is involved, we think, then things will go smoothly. It won't be hard. We may even expect it to be one miracle after another to either rescue us or at least speed things up. I mean, it just makes sense, right? God does to us what are strange things. These are strange things. I always loved that for him song a number of years ago came out. This is such a strange way to save the world, right? Remember the lyrics to this? It's talking about Joseph. I'm sure he must have been surprised. And where this road had taken him, because never in a million lives would he have dreamed of Bethlehem. And standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come to life. And Joseph said, why me? Just a simple man of trade. Why here? Why, Why him? I'm sorry. With all the rulers In the world, does it it make sense that you're you're doing this grand scale, big event for all of humanity? And we're nobody's God. Do Do you know who we are? Why here inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now, I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say. But this is such a strange way to save the world. Sometimes an infinite God does things that just simply puzzles finite creatures. Doesn't he? He just does some strange things. You know, last week we celebrated by looking at the advent through the lens of Galatians 4 that describes that in the fullness of time God sent his son. In the fullness of time. In the sovereign Perfect mind of God, that moment was the right moment, right? A moment that had no internet, no ability to publish anything that Jesus was saying. You couldn't go live stream his message out in the open fields where he was saying some of the most profound things that would ever be said on, on earth that couldn't be put on YouTube. There, there would be no posting that you wouldn't say, look at the, he was dead moments ago. Look at him, look at Lazarus and you're filming him with your iPhone. Can you imagine some of this, how it plays on TikTok or wherever? That, wait, God, that was the fullness of time. Are you sure this wouldn't have been a better time? I mean, this was something that needed to go global. Wouldn't it have been better if Jesus had a private Learjet that he could just fly from place to place? I mean, he's got important people to meet with. He's got dead people to meet with. It'd be nice if he could show up before they died. He's got important things to say. But God chose that time and called it the fullness of time, right? This is strange. Charles Spurgeon said, the birth of Jesus is the grandest light of history. The sun and the seasons of all time. It's the pole star of human destiny, the hinge of chronology, the meeting place of the waters of the past and the future. Why did it happen at just that moment? He came at the hour which God had determined. The infinite Lord appoints the date of every event. All times are in his hands. No loose threads in the providence of God. No stitches are dropped. No events are left to chance. The great clock of the universe keeps good time. And the whole machinery of providence moves with unerring punctuality. Apparently it's not just the big loud miracles that God is in. He's in the moments. He's in the small things. But here's our reasoning question, right? In your outline, I said this. If he is the infinite Lord, why doesn't he use his infinitude all the time at full blast? Isn't that what, what when I ask God? Every circumstance of my life, I can think of ways how God can overcome it and change it. Every one that I've ever been in. And so what I end up raising the question is, God, why don't you just... Dial yourself up to full blast right here. You know, you're infinite. You've got power. You've got all the resources needed for this. God, can you just dial it up to 100% and just blast this situation right now with everything that you are? That, that makes sense to us, right? Here's our working premise. If we had infinite control, infinite power, infinite knowledge, infinite resources, we would use that at all times and in all moments and when facing all needs in life. Everything would be a light switch that gets flipped the moment the need or situation is encountered. Yet God does nine-month pregnancies and 250-mile journeys. Strange, right? Limited human theater stuff. And how, many, how many of us are, are doing life right now? And we're wrestling with how we feel about the limitations that exist in our lives. Do you like all your limitations? I mean, the odds are when I stare at my limitations, I, I don't see how glorious God is in them. I, I, I think I struggle in those categories for that. Our intelligence, our talents bump into a ceiling at some point. Limitation. Our energy, our efficiency, can be rather frustrating to live with the limits that we have in those categories. Then there's people in our lives, our, our friendships, our family relationships. They're limited. They just don't do everything for us that we wish that they would do. They fall short. We have expectations of one another. Sometimes we meet them, sometimes we don't. A lot of forgiveness is needed if relationships have to continue because we have limits. We just don't show up in each other's space in ways that sometimes we just wish we would. Any kind of organization that we could ever be a part of, whether it's a governmental, being part of a nation, being part of a church, being part of settings where there's other dimensions of leadership in these settings. Limits. Right? I've I've had to have, I don't know how many, I've had so many phone calls in the last couple of months of dealing with government agencies and insurance companies. And, and, you know, the one thing that I've tried to be is kind to the person on the other end of the phone because I know they're overwhelmed right now. The, you know, moments like Hurricane Ida just create a scenario that there's no way people are keeping up. I actually thanked a woman with the SBA the other day. She was so shocked because uh, I just thanked her for how efficient They had been, she almost like laughed. She said, well, I don't hear that very much. (laughs) I don't think we've been very efficient. Um, But we have limits. All around our life is limits. And we don't like those limits. And we're at odds with those limits. And we question God about those limits. But at the advent of the Christ, he enters into limits. He limits himself. And he doesn't mind doing so. And he tells something about himself through the setting that has all these limits in it. All right, so this story about the birth of the Christ, it's got some really miraculous moments and it's got some really common stuff in it as well. And Galatians 4, remember this is how God sent forth his son in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He didn't beam him down to the planet. He didn't lower him real slow with the sounds of trumpets and angels of the whole world to see. He, he didn't mysteriously show up and everybody just didn't know who his mom and dad were. He was nine months in a womb. He was raised as a child. He walked with the family. He just did normal life stuff. This is how God sent his son into the world. So if you're looking for some cosmic trail that this is the Jesus because he did something that's so unusual, you're going to miss the Jesus who actually came. And we might miss God in our own lives in a similar way. I love this summary moment. Strange ways that God saves the world. You go back to Genesis chapter 45 and you have this moment. Those of you guys who have read your Bible, I hope you're a little bit familiar with the story because I'm not going to unpack it. But, you know, there's a day in which a descendant in the nation of Israel is somehow the second most powerful person in all the world. His name is Joseph. He ends up sitting with Pharaoh, who controls the resources of that part of the world. And Joseph literally comes out of nowhere to be this unshakable force in decision-making all over the world. And one day he meets his brothers. if you know the full story, you know his brothers have assumed he's pretty much dead. They betrayed him years ago. And so now they don't even recognize him. He's, he's a grown man. And they show up. And Joseph recognizes them. And he goes to explain himself to them. And then he gives a pretty decent long explanation. But he says this phrase. God sent me before you to preserve life. All right, it's a mind-blowing moment. Because he's actually comforting them. They're, they're all realizing when they finally see who he is. The guilt of what they've done. And... And he reveals himself and he says, no, no, God sent me before you to preserve life. Well, why did, why did God have to do that? Well, because there was, a, there was going to be a famine in all the land. And millions of people would have died in starvation, <clears throat> including the lineage of the Messiah and God's purpose in bringing the Savior to our world would have ended in a famine where his promises could no longer continue through the very people that he had ordained for him to continue through. So Joseph is the remedy to that? How about, how about God just stops the famine? He can do that. he just make it rain a little bit more. He can make the crops grow because when we check out God's activity, we find out he's the one who makes the grass grow, the sunshine, and the rainfall. So why all this Joseph thing playing out? God, why don't you just make sure you could do a miracle differently? You don't want to rain on the whole world? how How about you just do Joseph's family so that they don't die? How about you just make sure it rains in their backyard? Can you do that, God? God can do that, can't he? But he doesn't God sends a savior into the world. How does he do that? You remember Joseph's story? You remember how God is providentially involved in Joseph's story? Cause it's one part, average family, bunch of brothers. I don't know if many of you guys had brothers, sibling rivalries, uh, Inconsistent, unfair treatment in the household. A little bit of anger, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of jealousy going off. Some fights here and there. Revenge in the hearts of human beings. And those dudes decide, you know the way to fix this? We're going to get rid of Joseph. Now, you understand Joseph's commentary from the God of Providence is going to be, God sent me here. No, From their standpoint, we couldn't stand you anymore, dude. We abandoned you and betrayed you and sold you to another group. And they brought him. They brought him. God didn't pick him up, transport him, suddenly show up next to Pharaoh with lights coming off of him, beaming, saying, you're going to need me soon. You're going to need me. He gets to Egypt and gets in an episode of Housewives of the Suburban Egyptians. Meets a woman named Potiphar. He's a good looking guy. Her husband's away a lot. She starts coming on to him. He's a righteous guy. He resists. He just responds in a godly manner. She rats him out. Lies about him. And he ends up in jail. Now here's the weird thing. Because you know along the way. If I'm Joseph. I'm wondering where is God. Aren't you? Where is God? God? Where's God with my family? Why didn't God show up? Because I'm sure if he's a praying man, he wasn't praying in his prayer closet. God, could you just make my brothers totally jealous to the point that they'd really almost kill me? I don't think he's praying that way. I think he's trying to fix the things that are broken, but they end up going in a bad direction. Then he's going to get to Egypt and this woman's going to falsely accuse him and and he's going to land in jail. Now, the Bible does say along the way that in Potiphar's house, there was great favor on Joseph and God was with him. Really? You're with me? When this woman falsely accuses me and I can't can't overcome it and I'm going to be put in jail? And then when he gets to jail, the Bible turns around and says, God was with him and gave favor to him. He's like the top guy in jail. Well, you know, God, you're the infinite God. Can you just turn it up a little bit? Can you just kind of like a little bit more power, a little bit more thought, a little bit better plan than that? The guy's in jail. So what? He's the top guy in jail. He's in jail. And then he lives in jail for a couple of years because a guy who should have remembered something about Joseph forgets for two years. And then there's this moment. There's this ripe moment where Pharaoh comes in contact with God's purpose through a dream. And then, then Joseph is finally going to be brought onto the stage. And a miracle is going to finally happen, right? He's going to interpret a dream and blow Pharaoh's mind because he knows the future. Ooh, God finally showed up, didn't he? Or did he? See, the Bible doesn't describe like there was this life that Joseph got to live where, you know, God was at a distance. God wasn't near in that chapter. And then he moved to Egypt and God wasn't close here either. And he was in jail and God wasn't there. But then when the supernatural showed up and he can interpret a dream, ah, oh, there's God now. No, God said, I sent him to Egypt and God used Every one of those details to accomplish his purpose through his life. Kind of a strange way to save the world, isn't it? Apparently God does strange to us things in the common spaces of our lives. And that's what the Christmas story just highlights. Let me ask the worship team to go ahead and come back. What comes to us at Advent is great clarity on how the infinite God interacts with the theater of humanity. God is doing miracles in this moment. But God is also doing and performing His great sovereign purpose with the normal events and settings of the world that He created. God doesn't mind living in our space and accomplishing his will among things that look very mundane and ordinary in our lives. He did that at the advent of the Christ. It wasn't one miracle after another. It was miracles, unusual events, and everyday people and everyday experiences. And so what does that mean for us? Verse 18 says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. An Ancestry.com moment, a pregnant woman, nine months, a hot-headed leader who makes a hostile decision, an inconvenient trip to Egypt, This is how Jesus comes into God's purpose and God's story. I guess we could say now the life of Joseph took place in this way. And when you tell Joseph's story, you have these moments where God does something that's like, Ooh, that's really weird. And you have these moments that look really, really common, but God is in them accomplishing his purpose. Now the life of Keith and your life took place in this way. Understand what, what has led you to this moment. God has been superintending details that we just call common and God is in them in powerful and rich ways. And that's what this story that we celebrate with all this strangeness to it manger scene and God in a human body needing to be wrapped in swaddling claws and running for their lives. It's a strange way to save the world, isn't it? But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. That's how he did that. And that's still how God is doing that. God is in our lives today in spaces that just look mundane and common all over the place. But he invites us to see something of him being at work in this moment. So let me do this. I'm gonna pray for us. I know 2021 has been an an interesting year. 2020 was an interesting prelude to another interesting year. And in those kinds of spaces, there's there's been lots of nine-month pregnancies and 250-mile journeys that you and I have to stare at and go, what on earth is going on? Can can we invite our awareness to become more aware of the God who's in every space and every detail? That you're not here just because God did a few miracles along the way in your life. And we want miracles and maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you need an angel to show up and say something to you right now. That's going to wake your heart up and give you a sense of what does all this mean? And I pray God would do that. But I read the rest of the Bible and God does not always do that. And that's not the only thing you should be hoping for. God is in the mundane. God is in the messed up people in your life. God is in the need. God is in the pain. God is in the distance of the journey. God is in the big delay. He's in all those things. Sending his son into our lives. Still. Let's stand up together. Father, we near the close of another year. So we're all going to have some survey moments coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to survey our lives. We're going to think about where we are. God, some are going to survey a life that in 2021, it just feels very different than what they thought it was going to be like. Lord, in those moments, I know, I'm going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted to say, God, where are you? Where were you throughout this year? When this was breaking and that was delaying and this inconvenience came and that unanswered question forced its way into my life. And the feeling in the room It was like the Christmas story. It had questions, and it had shame, and it had disgrace, and it had suspicion, and it maybe even had divorce or broken relationships, and it. it had it had us thinking about life, Lord. God, you sent your son to enter into this world with all of its limits of all of its moments that we've experienced this past year Lord you sent your son to live in a human body just like ours a body that just didn't turn infinite every time there was a need for infinite Yet, God you are the God who's in these moments with us you are more near to us than perhaps we have described so Lord I just pray I pray for us right now Lord if we walked in here, we're concluding the year with the thought that God has been distant, God has been uninvolved, God didn't see. God doesn't care. God's not moving on my behalf. Or would you help me to see more than the moments where you raised the dead? God would you help me to see more than the moments where you heal the sick? God, would you help me to see that you are in the moments when a family member is betraying another family member and somebody's lying about us and we've been forgotten somewhere? God, would you help us to see your nearness in this season? Lord, for some, and this is a painful time. God, you entered our pain. You were pleased to dwell among us and to do life just like a human being. A human being that you designed. Lord, you designed this world. You don't mind using this world because you designed this world. It is your creation. You are pleased to operate within days and moments and space. So God, help us. As we sing this song, Lord, help us to see you are at work, Lord, even when we don't notice you are at work. And you are near to us even when we have overlooked your nearness open our hearts to that.
1: Here and touching every heart, I worship. you working, even when I don't feel it. You're working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. Even when, when I don't see it, you it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working, never you work stop, never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop Feel it you working, never stop, you never stop, you never stop, working. you never stop, you never stop, you never stop, you never you never you working Even when you we make a wing maker, miracle work promise keeper light in the darkness my god that is who you Feel like we're in a prison cell, God. It feels like we're with no way out. Lord, you are constantly working with a greater plan in mind, Lord, ultimately to bring you glory, Lord, that and for us that will keep us near you, God. So may we find hope, may we find rest, Lord, in you and your promises, God.